This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Now, this morning, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalms chapter 16. And it is my desire to bring a conclusion to this particular series that we have been on for a number of weeks now. Usually when we come into the fall season of the year, I I speak on this subject, an autumn breeze in the Psalms. And uh, we have been doing that uh, for the last several Sundays. And today we're going to bring a conclusion. So Psalms chapter 16, as I have said in these sermons in the past several weeks, that this is more of a a huge counseling session for us all. And these particular sermons are designed to bring hope and encouragement to you. Because we do know that life is not always good. And some of the things that we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks is how to navigate spiritually through Uh, the struggling times of our life. And I made reference to the fact that sometimes we take one step forward and three step backwards. And it's almost like we have the mentality we cannot win for losing. And so we have been dealing with those kinds of thoughts in the Word. And I have given you, I believe, some nuggets to help you. If you've taken notes, something that you have, and you can go back and you can read it again and be encouraged. But the message today is a little different than that. It's the other side of the coin, so to speak. And that is this. Sometimes things are actually good. It's not always bad. God gives us a season from time to time, and I believe it's divine. I believe it's for spiritual reprieve in our life. And that's what I want to speak about today. Things are not always bad. Sometimes things are good. And I think that we can get, we can get to the core of this whole series this morning by not forgetting everything we've talked about so far and focusing on how this thing concludes. So I want you to think about that. I'm talking today about the other side and when things subside and God somehow brings that that spiritual rainbow in your life. You know, after the flood, God put a rainbow in the sky and he promised, he made a covenant and he said, I will never destroy the earth again by flood. And he said, this rainbow is significant. It's a sign. Sometimes when you come out of the storms of your life and God has given a divine intervention, things kind of like turns for the better. This morning, I hope you can focus on that spiritual rainbow that God puts in your life because sometimes things are good. And I want us to end this series this fall with that thought. I want to read for you Psalms chapter 16 and verses 1 through 11, and then I'm going to give you the background of these important verses. So bear with me as I read through verses 1 through 11 
But you might want to underline a word or two as we travel through uh, these incredible verses. Beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 16, the word says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my God, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, or yes, I have a godly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. Oh, brother, we have all had night seasons in our life. Times when things weren't good. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. That's talking about the physical aspects of this. Shall rest in hope. Things are not always bad. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures, good times, good things forevermore. And so this morning, sometimes things are good. Now, let me give you the background of Psalm 16. It's most familiar, but it's good to reconnect with some of these things from time to time. When David penned this particular psalm, he was just coming out of what was one of the most darkest hours of his life. And when you carefully look at these scriptures, you, you see that there is an enormous weight that's lifted off of his shoulders, a weight that's lifted from his soul. Now, as we think about this, rehearse this story with me in your heart just for a moment, because King Saul, who, by the way, was the first anointed king of Israel, King Saul and about 3,000 of his best soldiers were in hot pursuit of David. And it's difficult to imagine the hatred, in fact, the level of hatred that Saul had in his heart at this particular time in Psalm 16 that, that he had for David. It was, it was unbelievable. Probably one of the most memorable stories about these two men working and serving together centered around one of Israel's greatest adversaries, 
And you know the story of David and Goliath. And after that huge victory was won, when David killed the great giant, he defied the Philistine armies. The word of God says that because of the heroic efforts that David had made and the great victory that he had won, people had highly esteemed him for what he had done. When David came back to Jerusalem, the people were so excited. They were ecstatic. And they put together a new song of celebration. And as the Israelites were coming back in from the battlefield, they began to lift their voices and the song penetrated every nook and cranny of Jerusalem and even made it into the hills of Judea. And the song went like this, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. Now, as a result of that song being sung, and Saul was king, Saul became jealous of David because of the praise and the recognition that the people were giving him. And as a result of that, Saul, in the midst of his anger and in his jealousy, and let me, I'm not speaking on jealousy today, but I will tell you it's a, it's a rattlesnake. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. No one wins in the sin of jealousy. Saul had tried to ruin David's career and even tried to take his life. And one of the last escapades, the word of God says that Saul picked up a javelin or a spear, he hurled it at David with the intention of killing him. This is how bitter the controversy was. Obviously, he missed, and as a result of that, David said, I've got to get out of Dodge. I've got to move right now. So that's exactly what he did. He started to run. He had a, a band of brothers that went with him. And David's in the midst of this entire problem. Now, the thing that I want to stress with you this morning is this. David did a great thing for Israel. He did a great thing for Saul. The giant was coming out every day, mocking them and cursing the armies of Israel, and they were trapped and boxed in, and they knew their demise was just over the horizon. Here comes a little shepherd boy. Saul puts on, he said, I'll go. Is there not a cause? He said, I'll go. Now, I think Saul really, in his heart, said, well, I'm going to send this little boy on a suicide mission. Everybody's going to see this. It's not going to work. But he said, I'm going to dress you up with the best armor that I have. Get out there. So David puts on all his stuff, and he recognizes immediately what a fool he looks like. Because he wasn't going out there to fight the giant in his own power. He was going out there in the power of God. So he takes all this stuff off. He goes down to the brook, the valley of Elah. He picks up five smooth stones, puts them in his pouch, puts one in his sling. And somebody asked me a long time ago, why, 
Why did he take four? Why did he take five stones with him? When he only needed one. Well, that's because Goliath had four brothers. And I believe David put one stone in his pouch for each one of those individuals. If they wanted to get in on it, David probably would say, and I got one for you, and I got one for you. I don't know. But he picked five smooth stones. You know the story. So David did a great thing for Israel. Fifteen years old. He did a great thing for Israel, but he also did a great thing for Saul. And he brought this whole thing. But Saul is jealous. So David is running. And now Saul's army is in hot pursuit. They are tired. They've been chasing him all over the land. And at this particular point, they decide to stop and camp for the night in the wilderness of Ziph. They had no clue where David was. And they had no clue that David was as close to them as he was. So Saul's men are exhausted, totally exhausted. They decided they were going to camp. They were going to get a good night's sleep. Again, Saul had no idea where David was, but David knew where he was. Saul had no idea how close he was to David, but David knew exactly how close he was to Saul. And Saul and his men were very tired. They'd been chasing him. And they decided, listen, we got to call it off for another day. We're going to stop and get a good night rest. In fact, the Bible teaches us that even the sentries and, and Saul's army were very exhausted. The whole camp went to sleep. And so with all of Saul's army asleep, David decided to get as close as he could to their camp and possibly maybe overhearing someone talking about the plan for the next day. David was in, in pursuit of trying to get an advantage of what their next move would be. So he took with him one of his most trusted men, his name was Abishai, and he was the brother of Joab. Most of you are more familiar with Joab than you are Abishai. So David and Abishai, they come very close to the camp. They recognize that everybody is almost in a physical coma. They are all sleeping. David got so close to Saul that he could actually see Saul sleeping. They noticed something else, that right beside Saul was his spear and his canteen. Abishai whispered in David's ear, Sir, we're very close. Let's go in. We can take him. We can kill him. And let's get this whole thing over with. He's within our reach. Let's end it right now. And David responded with incredible integrity. And those words are found in 1 Samuel chapter 26 and verse number 9. They get this on the screen for you. And David said to Abishai, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Now there's a great spiritual truth here that I believe guarantees a spiritual blessing on our lives. And I don't know how many people would want to turn down blessings. I know a lot of people that are living under a curse 
but I don't know too many people that would want to uh, live under that or to turn down a blessing. So here's what happens. And if you want to be greatly blessed in your life, let me give you a little nugget that I help you with that just for a moment. Because when Abishai was whispering in his ear, let's take him, we can do it. They're all asleep. He's within our reach. David did not look at his circumstances from the perspective as to what things would bring him great personal satisfaction or from things that could really please him and maybe settle all of this stuff immediately. But he, he looked at it from the perspective of what things would satisfy God. And that's incredible. And so number one on your bulletin today, I have this jotted down and I want you to understand that in every disruption of your life or in every storm of your life or when things are not going well, know that God is always working on your behalf and that's without question. And see, he knew, David knew was that Saul was God's anointed man. There was no question that. And let me say this. One of our biggest problems, one of the greatest deterrents of an extraordinary blessing that comes into our life from God is that we often too quick make decisions that contain only our self-interest rather than the will of God. Sometimes, even as believers, we don't take time to pray. We don't take time to search and, and pray over God's will, to read the scriptures, to get counsel. A lot of times when things are not going our way, we have a tendency, even as believers, to respond and to react on impulse. Just the first things that come to our mind, rather than the things that concern the will, the plan of God. And when we act on impulse and we respond hastily, when that happens, then there's a complete reversal of God's wanting to bless us in our life. A complete reversal of this. There's a, there's a simple verse of scripture in John chapter 3, verse 30, and it says this, He must increase, but I must decrease. And when we begin to act on impulse rather than seeking the will of God, praying and searching the scriptures, seeking good counsel, we, we reverse that. And we quote the verse like this, I must increase and he must decrease. Obviously, that forfeits a blessing in our life. So here's the thing. Rather than killing Saul, David actually did a very clever thing, and it's another great lesson to learn. David took, as he and Abishai crawled to his bedside there in the wilderness, David and Abishai was able to retrieve Saul's spear and his canteen, and they headed back to their own camp. And just, can you imagine? I don't believe that there was one person. I don't believe uh, David said, now you guys get a good night rest, me and Abishai going on a suicide mission here. You just take it. I don't think that's how he planned it at all. I think that when David and Abishai left, and I'm sure there were some other guys wanting to go, David said, no, I only need one. I think all those guys were waiting for them to come back. And here David comes back with the spear and the canteen of Saul. And he said, look, we were that close. 
We have retrieved these things. I don't believe David slept the night. I believe he communed with God. And then early in the morning, David, in this place called En Gedi, and I've been there many times, one of the most beautiful places on the earth. And David arises early and he gets to his edge of the cave where he was sleeping. He walked out to the side of the cliff and there he stood on the other side of the encampment of King Saul. And he said something like this as the sun began to arise. He called out to the to the enemy. He called out to the Philistines. He called out to Saul. He said, hey, Saul, think about this. Early in the morning, David's got these two things with him. He's saying, hey, Saul. And maybe perhaps it's waking him out of a deep sleep. He's hearing his name. And maybe the soldiers, I don't know, maybe the soldiers are awakened. They're fumbling around for things and trying to get oriented in their mind. And maybe one says, there he is. Somebody runs to the tent of Saul and says, David's standing right here in front of us. Saul's trying to get himself together, runs out there. David's saying, hey, Saul. Saul comes out to the edge of the cave. And there these two men have this great conversation. He says, David says, look how close I came to you. Where's your spear? Maybe, I don't know, maybe Saul's looking around for it. Somebody go get it. David said, here it is. And here's your canteen. David held it up and said, listen, Saul, I could have killed you if that's what I had wanted to do. Then David shouted out a question of desperation to him on the other side of the gorge. And this scripture is found in 1 Samuel 26, verse 18 through 20. And he said, wherefore doth my Lord thus pursue after this servant? Or in other words, let me give you the modern day version of that. David is hollering out, Saul, why on earth are you chasing me the way that you are? Why are you trying to kill me? I have done nothing but good for you. I have done nothing but good for Israel. Why are you doing this to me? For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, I pray thee, let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord have stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord. For they have driven me out of this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. So David was basically saying, Saul, what could I have ever done to have made you hate me as much as you have to this magnitude? And again, David's, I'm sure, pleading his case. Saul, I have nothing but your good interest in heart. He begins to make that declaration. I have loved you. I have done what I've done for Israel. I have done what I have done for you. None of this is for me. 
And the Bible says that when David gave his declaration that it had penetrated, you have to remember he was the Lord's anointed king. When he, David, had spoke these words, it had penetrated the heart of Saul so much, this was an astounding response in verse 21. Then said Saul, it's just like the prodigal son. I have sinned. And that's what the prodigal said in the hog pen. I have sinned. Father, I have sinned unto you. Saul here now is making the great confession, I've sinned. Look at this. He says, return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. I'm afraid that sometimes even as believers, we can get so caught up in wrath and frustration and hatred and animosities. People do us wrong and we come out with a vengeance. I assure you, friend, if you are a child of God, he will not be mocked. Many times we, even as believers, end up playing the fool. Saul most definitely did. Sometimes, and I think this is a practical truth that some of you in here can identify with, and that's this very few people who always think they're right will ever admit it when they're wrong. Very few people. On this past Thursday night, when one of our basketball players, Jamari, was hurt, Eugene and myself and a few others were trying to attend to the injury. When it was all being said and done, there were a couple of things that happened in the game. I have only, in 20 years, I've only challenged a referee one time. One time. Have they made many bad calls? Many bad calls. Have we taken the blunt on that as a team? Yes, we have. It's, it's life. It's the way it goes. But on this particular play, last week, not this past week, last week, I, I sat there and watched something happen, and for the first time in 20 years, I said, that's not right. And I stopped the game, and I went over to the ref and I said, you just, this is unacceptable. You made a bad call there. He said, no, that's not the way I saw it. I said, even the coaches on the other team saw this. I said, what you just said is not right. He said, well, we win some and lose some. I said, thank you. Went over and sat down. But this past Thursday night when this accident happened, And Brother Greg does a great job in telling people what the rules are and going through all of that. And he had done that multiple times. And this particular team had been in our facilities four or five times and even played a couple of tournaments in there. I had eight guys on the team. The other team came in here with a team of men who could rotate three times. They were, they were big, big guys 
One of them, somebody said, was 20. First of all, we don't have a varsity team. We have a JV team. The first rule is there's no varsity players coming in here whipping up on our little boys. And secondly, you don't dunk the ball. Now, I'm not going to take time to give you a basketball illustration today, but some of you know what dunking is. We don't do it. They were doing it. And so at the end of the game, when this was happening, I, I went over there and I said to these three coaches, who one of them was a pastor in the area, and I said, let me tell you something. I said, I'm not a sore loser. We lose more than we win. I've been doing that for a long time. I said, but all of y'all have been told not to dunk that ball in here. And I said, and my little team, my little guys, I said, you ran that clock up, and, and it was about a 40-point lead. I think, what did we have, 29 points? They had 61, something like that. And so I said, all of you knew the rules. And, and this fellow piped up and said, no, we didn't. And I said, yes, you did. Now, at this time, I had only challenged the referee one time, but now, now it was getting thick. And I said, yes, you did. He said, don't say that in front of my boys. He said, if you want to talk like that, he said, come find a private place. I said, take three steps forward, sir. <laughs> and we, we went at it a little bit. And, and this is what I said to him. Because Brother Greg stood up. He said, you guys have been told this five times. You play tournaments, you all know what the rules are. You don't come in here and act like that and run a clock up on eight boys and you got 15, 13, 15, whatever it was. And he said to me, he said, Preacher, I can tell you're a little upset. I said, not a little. <laughs> but then I said this. If me saying to you in front of your team, that what you were saying was not true. If that offends you, sir, I said, then accept my apology. I said, and I'll accept yours. He said, I'm not going to apologize for anything I didn't do. I went through all of this again. Brother Greg said, you guys have been all been told this, that, and the other. And then he said, well, I'm sorry you upset. And this is what I said. This is my point in the, in the illustration. He said this, um, I'm not going to apologize. I stopped him. I said, you know what the problem is, sir? I said, you don't know how to say sorry when you're wrong. I said, now look at that clock and tell me if that's wrong. Can you? I said, if you can go home tonight and lay your head on the pillow and sleep like a baby after that, I said, then accept my second apology. He said, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if you feel... I said, okay. I said, the thing for us to do now is pray. But here's the problem. We can be caught up so much in, in life and all of its drama. And we get to the place where our hearts are hardened so much where when we're wrong, we won't admit it. And we can't say sorry to God, first of all, then, then take care of all the earthly things we need to take care of. 
But if we ever get to such a place in our life where we cannot admit it, and in one particular case, that was where Saul was. Thank God he eventually said, I've sinned. It it took a lot for this man to speak those words in front of his people. Now again, he and David had no private place to talk. They're hollering at each other across the gorge. Saul's stepping back finally, and he admits that he's wrong. He said, I have sinned. Now, in this story behind Psalm 16, where we are today, it seemed for a moment when Saul spoke those words, David, I've sinned, and my heart is so broken. Now listen, it takes a lot of humbleness to admit it when we're wrong. Some people can't do that. But I tell you, if you're going through something today, and deep down in your heart of hearts, you know you're wrong, but you're just, you just can't bring yourself to say it. And things, the feud, whatever, is continuing on. Things are out of sort. Listen, I will tell you that the only way you're going to end up being able to put your head on a pillow and sleep like a baby at night is if you're wrong, say it. Say that you're wrong and then say, God, forgive me. Help me to restore the relationship with my family, with my brother, with my sister, with my friends. Listen, when you, when you cleanse yourself of that, you'll be amazed how different it makes things in life. When Saul said, David, I've sinned and I'm sorry. And what you have said has penetrated my heart. To the place, he said, David, I'm not going to chase you anymore. The game is over. Come on back and we will rejuvenate our relationship. Finally, 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 things were good for David. You trace out a lot of places and things in his life and you find out he was a man of many, many troubles. In fact, he wanted to build the temple and God said, David, no, you're a man of war. You've been struggling and fussing and fighting all your life. I'm not going to give you that privilege. He said, but I will let Solomon, your son, build the temple. But at this moment in in Gedi, it seemed like David's storm was over. The weight of the world was lifted completely off of him. And I will tell you this, that if you're going through something right now that's weighing heavy on your shoulders and there is an opportunity to get it right, to get it rectified, to get it released, I will tell you this, you will feel like the weight of the world is off of your shoulders when you're ready to step up and deal with it. Deal with it. This is always, I think, for me, it ought to be for you. It's an anticipated time in our lives as believers that when these things overwhelm us, that we're just willing to step up and face it and man up and deal with it. I, th- I think all of us look for the day, especially when we're overwhelmed with problems, when the rain will stop. We brokenly await for the day when the heartaches that we're going through cease. And we pray for the day that the dark clouds are going to roll away and for horrible circumstances and turmoils to subside. There's no doubt in my mind that in all of our, in all of the dark times of our life, we cry out, I believe, in our hearts of hearts, God intervene, help me in this situation. And some Sometimes after, after deep contrition, after deep sorrow and deep humbleness, 
and we really do righteous business with the Lord, and, and these troubles go away, God allows the sun to come in. He sets that rainbow over us. We feel peace, something that we've been yearning for. And it just seems like the weight of the world is lifted because we did what was right according to the word. You will find peace in these words. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So you think about this now. In many examples of life is always sometimes like the weather. I mean, it's smooth sailing sometimes, and then there are times of difficult storms. And sometimes we feel that we're caught up in storms of our own doing. Sometimes, and maybe today, somebody's on the verge of creating the most difficult storm for you. Yourself. You're bringing it on yourself. You're about to make a terrible decision. Being only consumed with the personal issues right now, your personal intent, that's exactly what Jonah did. That's what Abishai wanted. It's a very poor judgment when you make those kinds of decisions. And because of those decisions hastily, just on impulse, you bring on many other issues. And because of those kind of things, I could go through the Bible this morning, Lot being one of them, Simon Peter being another one, People encounter storms as a result of self-inflicted wounds. And the Bible's full of illustrations like that. But let me say quickly, number two here, look at this. We all have the power of choice. And there are negatives and positives in this freedom that we have. Some in here today may be very close. And I want you to listen very carefully to this, everyone this morning, because there may be somebody in here today that's very close to making a bad decision that will change your life forever. You're acting on an impulse. You could, somebody in here today could be one choice away from a different life altogether, a life of sorrow and heartache a life of sorrow because of a negative choice. But I will tell you on the positive side of that, someone in here today may realize the bad choices you've made and you're, you're close. You're on the verge of making good decisions, life-changing decisions that God can use to get you out of whatever trouble you're in. Somebody in here today may be like the prodigal who realizes that there is only one way out, and that is to do business with him. And that is to say, Father, I have sinned. Who's determined to get out of the storm, out of the commotions of life, and to get into some calm, peaceful, restful waters. Now listen carefully. When you make bad choices, you lose your ability to clearly focus on the holiness and the strong hand of God because you're going to be consumed with human calculations and schemes and hasty maneuvers and the storm may be more visible, the turmoil may be more visible in your life than God. And all of that has a negative effect on your decision. Whenever we take the eyes, our eyes off of the Lord and put them on the, the troubles of the world, the waves around us like Simon Peter, we can only expect to experience every single consequence that's imaginable. We will suffer spiritually, physically, financially. We will have family conflicts, conflicts with our friends and financial bad choices. Listen, I'm telling you, it all goes south. 
when we act on impulses, but we all have the freedom of choice. But as I've already mentioned this morning, we sometimes we can go through storms because of other people, what other people do to us, and we cannot always control that. David was in that mess. Saul, why are you, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? Some people come along in our lives, they think they're so spiritual. Listen now, don't miss this. They think they're so spiritual that God wants them to make your life a living hell on earth. Some of you may have encountered individuals like that. I will tell you, after 40 plus years of ministry, I've met many people like that, where they feel like they have been ordained of God to do it. My question is simple. Okay, what chapter and verse do we need to begin with that? You remember the prophet Elijah? He was on the mountain calling fire from heaven. He was defying the prophets of Baal. He was busy preaching the righteousness of God. And in the middle of all of that ministry, along came Jezebel who decided she was going to make his life extremely difficult. And so we have to be very careful with that. I want to close with number three this morning, and I want our musicians to come forward. And that's this. No storm or interruption is meant to last forever. There's a scripture that I don't have for you on our bulletin today, and I've not given it to the media, but I think it's noteworthy to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13. Keep in mind, storms don't last forever. You make good choices. You do business with God. Be honest. Be true. And you will be amazed of the difference in your life. Paul said it this way. There hath no temptation taken you but such as common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape. That ye may be able to bear it. Jonah was relieved when God gave him a second chance. Peter was relieved when he said, when Jesus said, feed my sheep. David was encouraged when God gave him counsel in the night seasons of his life. In Psalm 16, 17, he said, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. All of us have those kinds of times. And we spent many, many weeks talking about that. Times when we really believe in our life that the sun will never shine again. And we call these things so, sometimes we, we believe that it's taken us to our breaking points and that we will never recover from them. But listen carefully. It's never God's intention that you live in turmoil. It's never God's intention that you live in disruption. It's never his intention that you live in chaos. It's his, but listen. If it takes a storm to bring you to the place where you're ready to seriously commune with God, it's not God's desire from the throne just to be sending down trouble in your life. But listen, what he wants is that when trouble does come into our life that we learn. We learn 
from the bad choices and the mistakes we have made. Let me give you an old saying, and I want to close. I really don't have time to finish this message today. Most of you have heard this old, old saying, and you read most of it in the New Testament, and it says this. From time to time, a verse of Scripture will start like this. And it came to pass. It came to pass. Now, from a theological perspective, I, I, I get the verse. And I don't want to take it out of context this morning, but I do want to say this. As a believer, and you feel like you're stepping in one piece of trouble after another, when you make the choice to do what's right, set aside some pride, set aside whatever may be clouding the relationship between you and the Lord, when you're really ready to deal with this thing, listen, make a good choice. I assure you, God will show up in a way that you have drooled for, that you've longed for, you've hungered for. And I assure you, the storm will come to pass. God will give you a piece of sunshine. He'll put a rainbow over you. He'll take the weight of the world off of your shoulders. You'll get a good night's sleep. You'll wake up refreshed. And I believe that you would be in so tune with the Holy Spirit that you would pray something like this. God, I've sinned. I've made bad choices. I got myself into this mess. I believe the Lord would speak back to you and say, yes, but I've never left you. I've always been there beside you. And now that you're at this place, Get ready for some sunshine. And I'm not talking about S-U-N. I'm talking about S-O-N. Sunshine. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the power of the Word of God. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for these spiritual truths that come our way. Life is not always good. But thank God, it's not always bad. Sometimes we're in a mess. And there are times when we make the right choices. Life is good. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.